Well, happy St. Patrick's Day again. I think it's a blessing. I always love it when we get to have uh, worship on St. Patrick's Day and we get to celebrate together. I am just Irish enough that I feel qualified to do this. You know, mom's, mom's maiden name was Tolan. Tolan, believe it or not, is a very old Irish name. Dates back to the, to the 10th century, to County Kildare. So that's good enough for me. It doesn't matter what Ancestry.com really says about my heritage. I'm going to claim some Irish in there. There's a lot of ways to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, and, and we can do some of those today. Um, we're having the baked potato potluck. That's a wonderful way to celebrate. I am making corned beef for that, uh, for that dinner, so we can celebrate like that. If, if you're celebrating with beverages, you're kind of on your own when it comes to that. Uh, but one traditional way of celebrating St. Patrick's Day that I absolutely love, that I want to offer you today are some old Irish blessings. I think it's a wonderful way to celebrate with some old Irish blessings. So I'm going to raise my water glass this morning and offer you a blessing. An old Irish blessing that says, may the Lord keep his hand, may the Lord keep you in his hand and never close his fist too tight. I think that's a great blessing. By the way, when someone blesses you, when someone exchanges a a, a cheers or or a toast in, 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 uh, in an Irish blessing, the proper response is to respond with the word cilantro. Can you say cilantro? If you, if you can't say cilantro, can you say cilantro? To say cilantro let's just go with cilantro today. Can we do cilantro. There, it's got to work. Irish, Italian, they're, they're really close together. So here's another Irish blessing. You've probably heard this one before. May you be half an hour in heaven before the devil knows you're dead. Cilantro, right? Cilantro, there you go. Here's a good one. May your troubles be as few and far apart as my grandmother's teeth. Cilantro. Here's a blessing. Here's a blessing for your casket, for your coffin. You have a blessing for your coffin. Here's to your coffin. May your coffin have six handles of the finest silver. May your coffin be carried by six beautiful young maids. And may your coffin be made of the finest oak from a hundred-year-old tree, which I will go and plant tomorrow. Cilantro. And how about this one? As you slide down the banister of life, may the splinters never point the wrong way. Cilantro. The Irish are, are known for their blessings. They're also known for their humor. They're obviously also known for their hardships. I think there's just something about living on a small, rocky, wet island that allows you to see the blessings from God all the more clearly. The challenges that a life in a, in a, in a culture, in a, a climate like that, the, the challenges of a life like that produce a hearty faith and a, a firm reliance upon Christ. Now history's a little fuzzy when it comes to St. Patrick. There's things that that are legendary. I don't think he really drove snakes out of Ireland, but, but there, are, there are some legendary things we know about St. Patrick. And we're a little fuzzy, but, but as a missionary to Ireland and as ultimately the bishop to Ireland, it seems that St. Patrick uh, re- resented Rome's authority and control that Rome was trying to exert uh, upon his beloved people of Ireland. Because you see, back in Rome, where the, the head of the church was. Back in Rome, they lived in palaces. They lived in comfort. And here they were telling 
these little Irish churches that they needed to respect Rome. They needed to obey Rome. You need to look to us for your answers and obviously you need to send us uh, your tithes. And that just didn't set right with those people living in little thatch roof huts, uh, living on, on rocks and, and starving out there on that island, and yet looking to God for blessing. And so the, the Irish faith is, is fiercely independent. The Irish faith is fiercely reliant upon God. And we sang a song earlier that comes out of that heritage, Be Thou My Vision. And you hear it in those words, Be, uh, be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. Not be all else to Me, save that Thou art, Thou My Best Thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, Thy presence, my light. Thy presence, God, because You are with me. Rome's not with me. Papal authority is not with me, but Thou art with me. And really, that's the spirit behind what we've been reading in Ephesians chapter 1. What Paul has written here in Ephesians chapter 1. It's not a call to rely on some unknown authority that doesn't know us somewhere out there, but it's a call to rely upon God. God who in Christ has come near to us and has provided all that we need. So that's what we've seen all the way through chapter 1 of Ephesians. It's a reliance on God that comes from the realization that God has chosen us. And it begins with a call for us to find our identity in Christ. We've been through... Ephesians 1 already, but today we're going to take one last look. We're going to do an overview of Ephesians chapter 1. If you need to follow along in one of those pew Bibles, it's page 976. But the themes and the ideas that come out of this chapter are foundational to the rest of the letter. We don't dare leave them behind without examining them and, and hearing them. Not only that, they are foundational to our identity as Christians. We need to understand Ephesians 1 to understand who we are as Christians. Not only that, but we need to understand Ephesians 1 to understand who we are as a church. If we leave these ideas behind uh, and then just simply move on, we're going to forget who we are. We're going to forget God's promises and we're going to miss out on the gifts that He's given us and the power with which He has equipped us. And so Paul begins by reminding us who we are is not about us. It's about God's choice of us. It's about God's call on us. And Paul begins in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. One thing you notice all the way through this passage is, is it all is about one particular phrase that comes up over and over again. It's, it's the repetition of this phrase. Just two little words. In Christ. Over and over again, Paul talks about how we are in Christ. He says that we are He has blessed us in Christ. He has chosen us in Christ. He says we have been blessed in the Beloved. Who is the Beloved? Well, the Beloved is Christ. Some form of that phrase, in Christ, occurs 14 times 
in the, in the first 12 verses, excuse me, 12 times in the first 14 verses of, of chapter 1. That tells us our identity is not about who we are, and therefore our identity is not about who we aren't, what we aren't. It's about Jesus. And that is vital for us, because a lot of people will tell you what you're not. There's a lot of people in your life that want to tell you what you're not what you don't have, what you lack, what you're not qualified to do. And then a lot of people will promise you what they can do for you, what, what they can do for you, what they can make you, uh, who they can make you, or, or what they can do for you. But, but what does God say? Right here in these verses, He says that you are loved. He says you are chosen. He says you are redeemed. You are adopted. You are adopted. You are His. He has purchased you. He says you are mine. And before you understand anything else about yourself, understand this, you are His. That needs to define who you are. Let that permeate every aspect of your life and ultimately let that transform you. If you remember when we looked at, first looked at Ephesians chapter 1, we, we watched a scene from the movie The Lion King. You remember when we watched The Lion King? We saw Mufasa, the great Lion King, speaking to his son Simba and he said those words, remember who you are sound just like him, don't I? I sound just like James Earl Jones when I say that. <coughs> it kind of hurts, actually. You hear that from God in, in, in these verses. You hear, you hear the voice of God in these verses. Remember who you are. Not just who you are, but remember whose you are. Who you belong to. You belong to Him. No one else has the right to devalue you. No one else has the right to tell you what you're not. You are His. We can't hear that. We can't hear that together without realizing that we are His. And so we see not just who we are as individuals, but that, but that in Christ we find a promise that unites all of us. A promise that unites us all. Is as much as I want you to know as an individual how much God values you, how much God loves you, you notice that in this, pa this whole passage, it's not about the individual, it's about us. Paul over and over again says us, he says we, and he includes himself. He's not saying, I'm an apostle, so I'm above this. He says, no, we are in this together. Apostles do not stand apart. And so every promise we see in this chapter is a promise that we share. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been here, this is a place of equal blessing. This is a place of equal promises. Paul goes on in verse 11. He says, in Him, there again we have in Christ, in Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who worked all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. There was those words over and over again. You hear those promises. We have obtained. We hope in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. This is a mutual blessing. This is a shared blessing. One of the absolute worst things that can happen is for us to decide that some people are more blessed than others or that someone else is not as blessed 
as me. I've done more. I've given more. I've been around longer. I've earned the right to be up here. You're still new, and so you're down here on this level. The only up here we should ever be concerned about is Him. The only up here we ever need to be concerned about is the cross. Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to Me. If, if I am lifted up, if you are lifted up, there is no promise. But it's when we lift up Christ and lift Him up together that we have a promise. That's easy to let go of, though. That is so easy to lose. Paul warned them. He warned the Ephesian church. In, a, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is, is saying his farewell to the elders of this very church, the elders of Ephesus. And he met with those elders and he, he said to them in Acts chapter 20, Verses 29 and 30, he says, after, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You hear that? From among your own selves will arise those who will speak twisted things. This is serious. This is serious. We've all got to be on the same page here. Division and and, and disunity is a cancer to the body of Christ. It it, it destroys the body of Christ. And so Paul tells us that, that Christ has given us the Holy Spirit to unite us, to empower us, and to hold us all together. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Any division... Any split, any, any, anyone saying you're in and, and you're out, that, that cannot be of the Spirit. If you look a little later in, in the letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 4, Paul writes this. He says in, in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, remember, remember Paul was in prison when he writes this, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, live up to the promises God has made to you. Live a life worthy of those promises. How do you do that? Well, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the call for us to live out the promises made in chapter 1. Do we see each other as chosen? Do we see each other as redeemed? Do we see each other as adopted into God's family? Or are there some people that we see as less than, as as not owning the, the same promises as us? We have to live those out together as one body. And, and later on in that same chapter, chapter four, chapter 4, verse 16, Paul tells us there, he says of Jesus, from whom the whole body, that is the church, the whole body joined and held together by every joint uh, with, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. <laughs> I've reached that age where each part does not work properly. Can I get a salancha for that? <laughs> not every part works properly. And there's mornings when I wake up with pains and problems and I'm thinking, well, I know which part's not working properly today. This morning it was my back wasn't working properly, and I had to work on that for a little bit. But the, the body is supposed to work together. All the parts are supposed to work together, and when that doesn't happen, we have pain. The same's true of the church. Church does not work without unity, and unity does not happen without love. And so Paul is calling us to understand together 
that any victory we're going to have in this world is going to have to be a shared victory. And as we, as we unite in Christ together, and he shows us that all of our hope is found in Christ. All of our hope is found in Christ. You and I, as individuals, understanding our identity in Christ, that's important. Finding unity in Christ, that is also important. But identity and unity mean nothing without submission to Christ Himself. Until we're willing to submit to His leadership for us, for His leadership for, for us as a church, to His authority, we, we have no hope. And so Paul wraps up chapter 1 by taking us where we must go. He takes us to prayer. His last section in this chapter is a prayer. And in praying, he calls us to recognize Jesus as our source of identity, our source of unity, and our source of hope. Paul prays, beginning in verse 17, he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at, the, at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Paul prays, his prayer is a call for us to submit to Jesus' authority over our lives. In fact, he ends there in verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We have to realize that submission is not passive. Submission is, is never Passive submission is more than just saying that, that I'm under his authority. Submission is submission to his plan. Back in verse 10, Paul said that he has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. <coughs> so it's submission to his plan. Verse 11, it's submission to his purpose. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him. Who, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. It's to, submission to His plan, submission to His purpose. In other words, submission does something. Submission does stuff. It is active submission. It is reaching out to our community. It is blessing others. It is submission. It's about sharing the hope that we have with others. And in doing so, we get to share the victory that we have promised to us. I don't know if it... Something to do with that kind of American spirit, that, that, fiercely in, that fierce independence and self-reliance that we have, but, uh, but somehow at times it seems we've gotten the idea that submission is beneath us. <laughs> beneath us. Like we're better than that. But verse, t verse 22 tells us that, that Christ is over all. That Christ is, is over all. He's over you. He's over me. That all things are under His feet. And so the beauty of, of submission to Christ is that that's where we find our place and that's where we find our hope. That's where we find ourselves. So when we are overwhelmed, when the evil around us is overwhelming, much like it has been this week, or when the pain that we're carrying within ourselves seems impossible for us to overcome, 
the call isn't for us to be tougher. The call isn't for us to be stronger. The call is to trust Jesus all the more, to, to trust the head that is over us all. It's a call to know who we are in Christ. And knowing who we are in Christ, we get to know His victory together. And we get to hold on to His hope together. And in that hope, find victory. You know, that last verse of Be, my, Be Thou My Vision, that last verse always just stirs me. It always moves me. And it's equally a statement of submission and a statement of victory. And we have both in Christ. High King of Heaven, when victory is won, may I reach Heaven's joys, O bright Heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. And there's going to be times in your life when you're tempted to take your eyes off of Jesus and find victory on your own. There's going to be times in our lives when we're tempted to take our eyes off of Jesus as our hope, and times when we're going to be tempted to take our eyes off of Jesus as someone else's hope and think, well, they, they haven't earned this hope yet. They don't have a right to this hope yet. As our Savior, as our hope, our job is to keep our eyes on Christ for ourselves and for each other. Ephesians chapter 1 is that call for us to commit together in Christ. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Centuries after the time of St. Patrick, someone wrote a prayer and they attribute it to, to Patrick. They didn't do it deceptively. I think, I think the reason they did it was they said there is something of his spirit in this prayer. There is something of who he was and what he taught in this prayer and how he lived and how he taught us to live. We call the prayer the, the breastplate of St. Patrick. I think it's called a breastplate because it guards our hearts. But also, that's where you would put your family crest, right? That's where you'd put the emblem that said, who I belong to. And it is the breastplate of St. Patrick in that it reminds us who we belong to. And it, that prayer, at the heart of that prayer is a commitment to look to Christ for our all. And equally, to look for Christ and Christ only in each other. That we would look for Christ in one another. There's something in that prayer that we need before we move ahead in Ephesians. But even more, it's something we need as we move ahead as a church, as we move ahead as Christians, as we move ahead in Christ. So I want to ask you to stand with me. We're going to put the words in just a moment. Don't do it yet. We're going to put the words up on the screen. You, no, go ahead and stand up now. I was talking to Chad. <laughs> We're going to put the words up on, on the screen now, this, this is not the full prayer. The full prayer is much longer, so thank me for not putting the full prayer up there. But we're going to put what I think is the most beautiful part of the prayer. It's a beautiful abbreviated version. I want you to hear these words as you speak them. Hear these words as we pray them together and find the presence of Christ at the center of your being, at the heart of our fellowship and at the heart of the way that we serve our community. It begins, I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the Creator of creation. There we go. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. 
Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. The word amen means may it be so. May it be so. Amen. Go in peace.